Good morning, greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord, worshiping together this morning. I am continuing a series of messages going through the Gospel of John. I anticipate that I'll probably be doing this for uh, probably several years till I get through. Um, if I preach once a month, um, it could take a while, especially if it goes like it's been going, where, I, where we choose a passage or choose a certain section of Scripture, and, uh, boy, there's just too much there for one sermon, so we split it up into several, which is what I'll be doing here this morning <clears throat> in this section. Um, before we get uh, started with the message here this morning, I would like to um, give a bit of a report from the um, outreach committee. We had our first meeting on uh, Saturday, yesterday, and uh, we've been discussing area and uh, potential uh, places where we could uh, do a church plant. And uh, on Saturday, we have a trip planned this coming Saturday to go to uh, Green, New York. Um, there is possibly an open door there. We're praying for direction and guidance as God, uh, as we discern uh, the will of the Lord here for that area. Um, John Irvin has an uncle living in Green, and so we're going to be visiting that general area. It's just north of Binghamton by, I'm going to say, I don't know, what is it, John Irvin, maybe 15, 20 minutes north of Binghamton? And uh, there seems to be some, some things about the area that, that could fit the need of what we're, what we're looking for. So pray for us. And if there's anybody that has interest in going with, uh, we'll, make, uh, we'll make room. We can take several van loads if we need to. But uh, yeah, there will be room to go along. And you can talk with somebody on the committee about that, either John Irvin, John Glick, John Dorothy, or myself, if you have interest in going along there. Continue to pray. Continue to pray that the Lord would open up the door and that we would be able to discern when there is an open door and walk through. <clears throat> okay, for the message this morning, I've entitled the message this morning, The Message of the Baptizer. The Message of the Baptizer. As I was looking at this section, I saw two themes coming through. The first was the message of the baptizer, being John the Baptist, and the second was John the Baptist was mission true to his call. He was mission true, and he had a message. John had a message, and he was mission true. So the second message we'll be taking from this section will be mission true. Um, but the first one here we want to look at is the um, message of John the Baptist. What was his message? Before we get into that, I'd like to just give a little bit of historical context to the life of John the Baptist, and uh, we will find that here in Luke chapter 1. If you care to, uh, we'll be turning uh, back and forth between passages as we, as we look at uh, the life of John the Baptist, and then move on into his message. I don't necessarily have one, two, three points this morning. It's more of an exposition of the text. 
and we'll be drawing, uh, pulling in different passages as we move through here this morning. Luke chapter 1, we, this is where the account is given uh, to Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were in old age, and uh, the uh, angel came to Zacharias here. So Luke chapter 1, will be starting in verse 5. Luke gives us the historical account. He says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. So something I'd like to notice here in Zacharias is that he was a priest. It says a certain priest, and that's significant in, in the life of John the Baptist. We'll get into that a little later on. There was a certain priest named Zacharias. And he had a wife, Elizabeth. In verse 6, we see that they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. There was still a remnant. There was still a remnant in Israel. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. <clears throat> they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, so Zacharias and Elizabeth were childless all their life, and now they were in old age, and uh, the angel comes to John here, and he says, you are going to have a baby. And he said... His response to the angel was a response of disbelief. He said to the angel in verse 18, his response to this was, Whereby should I know this? He said, For I am an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. And that term, well stricken in years, simply means She's too old to have a baby. So think of it this morning, just for a little bit of context, if one of the older men on the front row here would announce to us that they're going to have a baby. Oh, we would say, well, you're too old. And so, but that's exactly how John the Baptist responded. He said, well, uh, but I'm too old. So you could say, you could say John the Baptist was a miracle baby in a similar way of Jesus. It took a miracle for him to be born. And he was born. And no doubt there was quite a stir. Verse 14 says, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and he says, And many shall rejoice in, at his birth. Many shall rejoice at his birth. So I don't think this was no small thing. I think the people knew about this situation, that there was an older couple that was going to have a baby. And many people rejoiced at his birth. So that's a little bit of historical background to John the Baptist. He came, was a miracle baby. Let's look just a little bit in a section here now on the proclamations from Angel Gabriel. And we find those from verse 15 to the end of verse 17. 
The first proclamation that the angel says about John the Baptist, in verse 15, he says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord. The second one is, He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even in his mother's womb. Thirdly, Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. So we know that John the Baptist's mission later on, this was commissioned by the angel. He said, he will do this. He is going to turn to the Lord their God. He's going to turn the hearts of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And that was the message of repentance that John had for the children of Israel. He shall go before him, in verse 17. He shall go before him, the Messiah. He's going to be the front runner for the Messiah. And he will do this in the power and spirit of Elias. Notice here he says specifically the power and spirit of Elias. John the Baptist was not Elijah himself. He was coming in the power and in the spirit of Elijah. And we'll come back to that later on in the message. And he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, there was no prophet in Israel for 400 years, not since Malachi. That would be like, for us, we would say it was silence since 1600. Silence from the Lord. There was no prophet that had a voice that had a voice that came from the Lord to the children of Israel for 400 years, not since 1600. That is a while, as I think about it in context. The Romans were in power during this time. And I believe, and we can see, that the children of Israel's spiritual state was in desperate need. This then brings us to the text in John chapter 1 that Matt read for us here this morning. This is a very interesting account in Scripture. It's the only account in the New Testament that I'm aware of that gives us three literal days. What happened? Day one, day two, day three. There was three days where specific things happened, and the Bible specifically tells us day one, day two, day three. Um, now, you could maybe say um, Jesus, uh, the last week of Jesus, you can take passages of Scripture and pull things together, and you can say, okay, this, most likely this happened on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on through the week. But it's not mentioned specific days. Very interesting. The front runner for, for Messiah reached the pinnacle of his ministry. Here, I believe, in this section that was read. This was, as it were, the pinnacle of John the Baptist's ministry. 
he continually told his disciples after this time, he said, well, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. I'm going to become less, he's going to become more. But John the Baptist clearly understood his mission. He understood who he was and what he was to do. There was no question in his mind. Day one, we see there is a delegation that has come to him from Jerusalem. This delegation is an interesting delegation. And I want to look at this a little bit and get some historical context and pull it into this. Um, he is, he is uh, proclaiming to this delegation that came from the, uh, Jerusalem, and I personally think this delegation was sent by the Sanhedrin Council to investigate, to see what is this that's going on. John the Baptist was a well-liked prophet. People understood him to be a prophet, and they liked him. We see that when Herod had him, uh, or when he was uh, uh, beheaded later on then, he, he was afraid to do that to him because of people. Because of the people, he was afraid there would be a revolt. So John was popular among the people. And he had a message. On day two, we see him preaching to the people, which we, we're not going to get past day one this morning. Day two, he was preaching to the people. Day three, he proclaimed Christ to his own disciples. And to the people, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, when he saw Jesus. To his disciples, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And his disciples, a few of them at least, went and followed Jesus. Very selfless, very selfless ministry that John had. <clears throat> Day one, let's look at this delegation. In verse 19, this is the record of John when the Jews... Something interesting to note, when John is penning the Gospel of John here, when he mentions the Jews, it is almost always in reference to the enemies of Christ. When he mentions the word the Jews, he is referring to the enemies of Christ, those who are against Christ. The Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? Um, and we see in verse 24 there were sent of the Pharisees. So let's get some context here. The Sanhedrin body was made up of 71 members. The presiding official of the Sanhedrin body was the high priest. He was the one who was the presiding official. Our um, nation here just came through a little debacle this week. I don't know. I saw it on the headlines of the newspaper. So I got kind of drug into a little bit, and I thought, oh, what is going on? And they were fighting over this position of presiding over the House of Representatives. And, um, and we know they, they elected uh, an official then, later in the week. But, so, in that sense, it was a governing body. That's what the Sanhedrin was. It was a governing body, similar to, you know, I think we can relate to that, the House of Representatives, the, um, the um, Senate, kind of the same type of setup. There was representatives, and there was a presiding official. And the presiding official in this case was a priest, was the high priest. So the 
the, the Sanhedrin uh, was a, a governing body, and they, would, uh, they were comprised of both Pharisees and Sadducees. Those were the two religious sects that were um, represented on the court. Um, interestingly, when uh, Paul was on trial in front of the Sanhedrin court, um, he seen an opportunity to, uh, to get some division going on here or to distract from what they were uh, trying to decide with Paul. And so he piped up and he said, ah, he said, you know, I am on trial for the resurrection of the dead. And this caused a huge debacle right there with, this, with this, the Sanhedrin court. They started uh, hitting at each other. The Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection. There was no resurrection. And the Pharisees were adamant that there was a resurrection. And so when he did this, he, he brought it up, and immediately they were, they were at each other. You can see the, the, just the, the liveliness of this. And I think, you know... <laughs> Uh, we're not exempt from this in our own country. They, they, they get really lively about things, but that's what happened. The Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did. So there was a, a little bit of a difference there. The Pharisees were fundamentalists. They believed in strict obedience to the law. So they took the law, and they believed that you should be strictly obedient to the law, and they held everybody else to that standard. That was a typical Pharisee. Strict obedience to the law, everybody needs to obey the law to the T. And you can see that as Jesus is in his ministry uh, with the lady, for example, that was caught in adultery. Uh, they were very concerned that the law would get fulfilled there. And they used that situation to try to uh, get Jesus in a corner. The Sadducees then, they were more of a liberal party. The Sadducees were closely connected to the Roman government. Sadducees were made up of, uh, were from the priestly line, and so they had very close connections to the, uh, the, the sacrifices in Jerusalem and the, the priestly lineage. And because of that and their tie to Rome, they were closely tied to the political system of the Jewish political system. And as a result of that, Pharisees also had wealth, but the Sadducees were extremely wealthy because of their close connection to Rome. Hence, a very corrupt, very corrupt sect of Jewish people. So, my personal thing on this is I believe that the Pharisees that were represented on the Sanhedrin court, that would have been more familiar with Scripture probably than the, than the, than the uh, Sadducees. And they, they noticed that John the Baptist was preaching. They said, we're going to send some people out there to see what's going on. You know what they said? They send the priests and they send the Levites. Why priests and Levites? Why not just some general people from the crowd? They sent priests and Levites. The priests were in charge of temple worship, right? The Levites were very closely connected to that, 
But the Levites would also play a role of uh, crowd suppression, uh, temple court that would take care of the um, uh, riots, be sure things would be like the temple police, if you will. So they were closely involved with those, those activities in the temple. Why Levites? Why priests? I believe it's, there's a specific purpose for this. They wanted to go and check this out. What is going on? This was an investigation. An investigation. <clears throat> and they sent to inquire about John the Baptist. And this council, the Sanhedrin court, was both political and religious. And we see that uh, Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin court, and they condemned him to death. Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin court. Now, they couldn't condemn him to death, uh, so they sent him uh, to Rome. And we can see there, the, or out to Rome, to... Um, uh, come to mind. Herod, correct. And so you see that there, the court was closely connected to the political, to the Rome, Roman political system. And here, this delegation that was sent to John would have been from the Pharisee sect. <clears throat> they came with a question. They came with a question, and they said to him, Who are you? Who are you? We can see from John the Baptist's response that their question was more than just, Well, who are you? Like if you meet somebody, you say, Well, who are you? And you might say, Well, I am such and such. And you say, Okay, nice to meet you. That was not the intent of their question. By his response, we get that he was inferring, are you the Christ? Because he responds by saying, and he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And he, this, this, uh, this Greek language here is very strong. Its, it's terminology is it's, it's like an adamant denial. I am not the Christ. Don't mistake this at all. Well, they, they weren't quite satisfied with that. Well, so, okay. And they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? Because in Malachi it says that Elijah's going to come back. Well, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not. And I imagine their heads are spinning. Well, you know, we know that the Bible says that Elijah's going to come back. Oh, and there's going to be a prophet that comes back, right? Art thou that prophet? And he said, no. So who was this prophet that they were referring to? These men were familiar with scripture, or at least the sending party was. And they said, art thou that prophet? This we find in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Yeah, there's uh, four verses there, and I'm just going to read them and make some comments. And the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. This is Moses speaking. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Herob in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken, that which they have spoken. I will raise up I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like 
unto thee. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So the context here is, Moses is saying, you know, when we were at Mount Horeb there, and you saw the fire, and God spoke, and you were trembling and afraid, and you thought you were going to die, and you said, we don't want to talk to God anymore, you go talk to God, and then come back to us and tell us what he said. That's what they were afraid of. They said, we don't want this anymore. And God said, sure, fine, we'll do that. I'll talk to Moses. Moses will be my spokesperson. He will be my representative. Moses is now saying that, yes, God is going to raise up another prophet. He's going to be like unto thee, meaning like unto Moses, in the sense that he's a mediator. This prophet is going to come in the sense that he's a mediator. I'm going to be, he's going to be the voice of God. Very interesting that this, this delegation came with a question. Are you that prophet? And he said, no, I am not that prophet. He insisted that he is not. Stephen also refers to this in Acts when he was in front of the Sanhedrin court. He says the same thing. He says, this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, like unto Moses. Him shall ye hear. And that this, this, uh, this was a build-up to an explosion on the Sanhedrin court when Stephen was presenting uh, his defense. This led up to that explosion. They were really, really upset that he accused them of killing this prophet. <clears throat> Maybe you're bored with all these details. I thoroughly enjoy um, studies like this. <clears throat> okay. I won't try to uh, prolong this if it is so. Um, and John is here, and he's insisting, no, I am not that prophet. Verse 22, they're not satisfied yet. They're not getting their answer. we got to go back to the Sanhedrin court, and we've got to tell them what it is that you are. We need to give an answer. And we see that in verse 22. Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? This is the thrilling part of this, of this chapter, right here. John the Baptist's declaration about himself. He clearly understood his mission. And when he was asked, who are you? Well, then what do you say about yourself? He kept denying that he's not the Christ, he's not Elijah. Malachi says, I kind of missed this part, Malachi says that Elijah is going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And I believe that time is still coming when Elijah will come back literally. We will see him and we will hear from him. He adamantly denied, I am not Elijah. He came in the power and spirit of Elijah, but he was not that Elijah that is still to come. <clears throat> So he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. 
make straight the way of the Lord, as said prophet Isaiah. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40 and see what Isaiah said about, about this front runner. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. The voice, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This time was here. He said, that's who I am. I am that prophet. This was a very necessary part. A prophecy that needed to be fulfilled prior to Jesus' coming. The hearts of the Israelites were hard. And he was standing in front of a delegation of the worst of them. He says, I am the voice. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Notice he says, I am only a voice. I'm just that voice. That's all I am. And I'm crying in the wilderness. It's interesting that John the Baptist's physical location represented a spiritual dimension in the children of Israel. He is crying into the wilderness, as it were. And I believe this wilderness is a reference to the spiritual condition of the children of Israel. Israel's spiritual condition would have been a wilderness scene. It would have been dry, barren, desolate, lifeless. It was dead. It was rocky. It was a desert scene spiritually. Full of pride. They had drifted far from what God had originally in mind with his people. He was, in that sense, a voice preaching a message of repentance. We see this in, uh, in verse 3. He says, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. So all the dips, the low places, are going to be brought up. The abased. The depressed can be brought up by Christ. 
Every mountain and hill is going to be made low. The pride, the haughty, they're going to be brought down. Some of these representatives were standing right here in front of him. The crooked made straight. The perverted places shall be made straight. That was John's message, message of repentance. The rough places made smooth. The cluttered places need to be cleaned off. The obstacles needed to be removed. John clearly understood this about himself. You know, I had to think as I was preparing for this message, does this preacher have some low places? High places and rough places? I think so. So before we get too critical, of the spiritual condition of the children of Israel, maybe I should take a look at my own spiritual well-being. It's very fascinating how John, the further dialogue here between John the Baptist and these, this delegation that was sent he proclaimed to them, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as says the prophet Isaiah. Now they had an interrogation question for him. They said, okay. And they asked him, said, why do you baptize then if you're not that Christ or Elijah? Nor the prophet. Why then are you baptizing? And John here, he takes the opportunity to proclaim Christ. He says, John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who is coming after me, preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. Let's look at the idea here. John says, there is one here. He is saying to this delegation, that prophet is here. He's here. So you can go back to the Sanhedrin and say, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, making straight the way of the prophet. And the prophet is here. That's what he was saying to them. You can go back and tell your people that sent you that that is what's happening. This is very interesting. The, it is laying the, the early groundwork of the, uh, the contention between Jesus and the Jewish ruling body, governing body. They would have 
Clearly, probably those who executed Jesus were still sitting, on, or had him executed, were still sitting on the Sanhedrin court when he came and stood before them. They knew, they knew this was happening. They denied it. John said, there is one standing among you. We can say the same thing today, can't we? He is here. He came. And he is coming. He is here. He was here. And he's coming. Get ready. Get ready. Are you ready for when he comes? Are you really ready? Jesus were to come this afternoon. Are you ready? You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. Get ready. Because he's coming. He will come again. He was here. He made a way. He made the, the path straight. And he will come again. <clears throat> Notice one more thing about John the Baptist here that I see coming through. Verse 28. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. And... This, is, this, this talks about John's view of himself. He says, I am not even worthy to stoop down and loosen his latches. What would typically happen in, in this culture is when you would arrive at somebody's house, the lowest slave in the house, the, this was the lowest class job, would be the one to stoop down, loosen your shoe latchet, and wash your feet. That was the lowest slave's job. John the Baptist said, I am, not, I am lower than that slave in his kingdom. Turn with me for some closing thoughts. In, um, Luke chapter, Luke chapter 7. And uh, this was a place in John the Baptist's ministry when he had some questions. Um, I'm not sure what was behind it, but he had some questions. He sent a few of his disciples over to Jesus, and he said, uh, Jesus, um, are, he, he sent them with a question. He said, are you the one, or is there still another one coming? And so this group of disciples came to Jesus and they asked him the question. And he seems to have ignored the question at least for a little. Because the very next verse says, and in that same hour, he, began, he was healing and, and he had, there was ministry he was doing. It says there, um, in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And to many that were blind, he gave sight. So he seems to have ignored them for right away at least. And then Jesus answered them after they were able to witness these things. And he said unto them, You go your way and tell John the things you've seen and heard, 
how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. Then in verse 24, after John's disciples went to take the report back to John, he begins his, his own um, exposition of John. And he asks them a question, his listeners that were sitting here. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately, they're in king's courts. But what went you out to see? And he says, a prophet. Yeah, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. And he says the same things. This is my messenger that's going before me to prepare the way of the Lord. Then he concludes by this. He says, For I say unto you, among those that are born, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. This is Jesus' own words. Then he goes on to say, but, he has a but here, but the person, the person that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said. He said there has never been a greater prophet. He was the greatest prophet ever. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I got some growing to do. Or some shrinking, maybe. John the Baptist is an incredible testimony and what it looks like to be a front runner for Christ. And in a sense, his, his ministry was fulfilled, right? He was the front runner for Christ. He introduced Christ into this world. Christ came as a baby, lived here among us. He is here still today through the Holy Spirit. But he is also to come. Could it be that we also bear a message-bearing responsibility for the return of Christ? When we interact with those around us, are we thinking and talking about the return of Christ? He will come back. Or we will die. It will be one or the other. If, if he doesn't... We, if he doesn't come back soon, we'll die. But sometime he will come back. And we have the privilege of being his representatives for his kingdom. If we tell people about the return of Christ and be faithful witnesses for him. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Let's kneel together and pray.